start this week's episode with the sad news of the passing of our colleague and friend, John Stockdyke. John has been a regular fixture on the No Account for Taste podcast for many years, but away from the pod mic, John was a colossus in the accountancy world, a talented writer, editor, musician, who was always generous with his time and expertise. He was a great friend and colleague who the accounting web team will miss more than he could possibly know. So long, amigo. Thanks for everything. Shall we begin? Let's begin now. Hello, I'm Richard Hattersley, and welcome to No Account for Taste. Today on the show, we'll be discussing a massive new consultation from the Treasury that is set to overhaul anti-money laundering supervision as we know it. And we'll also be asking whether AI is a friend or foe for tax. And as always, I'm joined by AccountWeb's technology editor, Tom Herbert. Hello, Tom. Hi, Richard. Hi, everyone. Uh, well, let's start with the big news of this week, which is, of course, uh, anti-money laundering. We've talked an awful lot over the past few weeks about AML, and it feels like it's become almost like the government's pet project at this point. It seems like every month there's a, a new consultation or, or some sort of news about this, or we're talking about something. And on the site as well, we're seeing many of our readers complain about the extra scrutiny that they're under, and it feels as if accountants have very much taken the brunt of this supervision which is trickling down from the government down to the regulators then down to the accountants and this all comes to uh, the news this week that the treasury has released a new consultation that's explored four ways to potentially reform the supervision of accountants and lawyers compliance with money laundering regulations tom before we get into those four options i mean is this any real surprise to you that AML is going to be is is still top of the list of uh, of of the government's agenda? I don't think there's any surprise at all. It's a right old mess, isn't it? Um, we are in we're in the early stage of our uh, accounting web intelligence research, where every quarter we ask um, five hundred or so accountants. Um, a couple of questions um, focus on a topic, and uh, this this month, we, uh, this quarter, sorry, we are doing um, well. We're doing sort of capacity crunch staffing, essentially, and and looking at it. I mean, ninety percent, you know, the, the quite quite sort of indicative results rather than finalised. But like ninety percent of accountants are blaming compliance for this capacity crunch. You know, it's it's increases in compliance and AML. AML stuff, it, it does factor into this extremely heavily. Um, you know, not only the fact that, that it's an increasing volume of work, but it's also incredibly complex, um, depending on who's supervising you, whether it's your professional body, whether it's HMRC. Um, they all have these these slightly different rules that, that you need to go and you need to get your head around and you need to comply. Um, as you said, we've had stories on the site about accountants who have struggled to comply for whatever reason and have been hit with the big stick. Um, and then on top of this sort of squatting like a, a giant regulatory toad, you've got sort of op bass um, that the, the is the sort of supervisor of supervisors. And, you know, they, they've been cracking down on, on 
these these accountancy bodies supervising um their, their, their accountants, as it were. So, yeah, they're, they're sort of squeezing the supervisors. So, yeah, it, it, it is all a, a big hot mess at the moment, and it really <laughs> does feel like uh, some something needs to be done. And that something that needs to be done happened this week with the Treasury release in this consultation, which revealed four different options to overhaul what we currently have. Those options range from bolstering the current supervisor of supervisors, as Tom said there, Opbas, uh, which would be re- renamed under this as Opbas Plus, which Tom <laughs> said, um, saying like some sort of vitamin or something <laughs> that you'd buy from Holland and Barrett, um, to the more extreme option of stripping the professional bodies in HMRC of its supervision responsibilities. Take that in for a moment. Professional bodies being having AML taken away from them, and this will then in turn be given to a brand new supervisor the one supervisor to rule them all, if you will, and that one would be in charge of all AML supervision. So it's going to be that, that, that's quite not a only change. accountancy; that's legal as well, isn't it? One of the options. So yeah, it's 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 a that is a big old body they're creating there. And so this is set to the um, consultation is going to be ongoing. I think it's going to go into September. They're going to review the results, and then we'll, we'll eventually have some sort of answer. Um, Around the start of 2024, um, and who knows what's going to happen by that point. Um, so it feels like a very complex and confusing uh, mess at the moment, and who knows where it's going to go. So there's no person better to understand this consultation and the impact it's likely to have on accountants and the professional body supervisors um, than... AccountWeb's resident AML expert and the owner of MLRO Support is, of course, David Winch. So we're going to be beaming in and speaking to David Winch right now. Let's begin now. David Winch, welcome to No Account for Taste. We've just been talking about this brand new consultation that's come out from the Treasury, which is set to just completely shake up AML as we currently know it. Can you give us a little bit of background, kind of like uh, what we need to know about how this consultation has come about? I'd love to talk about this for hours, but I promise not. (laughs) Um, So obviously the government isn't totally happy with the way AML supervision is working for professionals, for accountants and for lawyers particularly. And they want to do something about it. Uh, So they've produced this consultation uh, paper with a range of options, some of which I suspect are more likely than others to to come into effect. And um, it's very big news for the supervisory bodies. And if I was, for example, employed uh, as an AML supervisor by one of the professional bodies, I would be very excited by this consultation. As far as the majority of AWeb members are concerned. The key message here is um, AML supervision is going to get worse. Uh, The whole movement is towards let's do more supervision of accountants and solicitors and barristers. Uh, Let's ramp up the supervision. Uh, And so even the most modest of these proposals is about more supervision uh, and, you know, at, at second hand, it's about more supervision of the supervisors, but clearly that's going to kick on through to 
uh, accountants in, in the proverbial high street. So there's four options which are currently on the table and currently what's going to be is, is part of this consultation. Um, let's take a moment to just spin through them. So, uh, David, option number one is Opbas Plus, which is, I guess, effectively bolstering what we've currently got. Yes. Um, Opbas, as, as you know, is the body that supervises the professional bodies. Uh, and Opbas Plus simply means giving Opbas more powers uh, to uh, penalise the professional bodies uh, if they're not doing it properly. And I, th I think the truth is the government is aware that not all of the supervisory bodies are um, exercising, shall we say, the same standard of care in supervising the populations. And I've, I've even known one or two firms who've said, well, we've changed our supervisor from this one to that one because they don't bother. <laughs> and we'll have, we'll have an easier time. Uh, well, from the government's point of view, that's not acceptable. They, they want all the supervisory bodies to be as keen as the most keen ones uh, to supervise their populations. And currently that's not happening. They want to do something about it. So Opbas Plus means giving Opbas more powers to basically beat up the supervisory bodies to make them do more supervision. And then option two is um, it's like a professional, the consolidation of professional body supervision. Is that the right way to maybe approach, which feels like it is lux in for, for some professional bodies and then maybe bad times for others. Yeah, I, th I think here the idea is, right, from government's point of view, if some of these professional bodies are doing it right, let's get them to do everybody's supervision. Uh, so if you, if you pick, presumably the, the candidates as far as accountancy firms are concerned are going to be ICAEW and ACCA. Let's pick one of those uh, as, as doing it well and let's give them the whole of the accountancy sector to supervise, not just their own members. Now, now that has implications for whoever gets picked because they will suddenly be required to supervise people who are not their members, who they don't know, who they don't get annual returns from, uh, and they've suddenly got to widen their remit. And whether that's sensible or even possible is, is a moot point. But that, that's the, the option that's being put forward. And I suppose it's kind of, it's great for one of them, but then the other one, <laughs> you know, they're going to... Um miss out on this opportunity and also i guess as a negative they are still kind of private organizations um and i, I suppose that may be something that kind of slightly goes against them but then as you said as a positive they are the they are kind of the ones who kind of know these people better than um someone coming in fresh yes uh, that, there's a couple of points i haven't mentioned one of which is fees Presumably, if, let's say, ACCA got the job, they would then have to charge fees to all these people who are not currently members to cover the costs of monitoring them. Uh, and also, I've been uh, remiss here, I've been English-centric because there's another option that there should be uh, one body for England and Wales, a separate one for Scotland, a separate one for Northern Ireland, and the same with the lawyers, so you then have six bodies uh, supervising depending on where people were and, and what you do if you have an office in Scotland and an office in England I don't know 
And then the third and fourth option, they're quite similar. So I guess we'll cover them together. But it's effectively a, a completely new supervisor, isn't it? Stripping the pressure bodies and HMRC of their supervi- supervisory powers. And then this new pers- this new body comes in. Yeah, we used to talk about quangos, didn't we, years ago? <laughs> so, yeah, a, a sort of semi-government body would come in and replace all the professional bodies in terms of AML supervision. And, um, I mean, we've seen how HMRC does AML supervision, whether that's a, a good example of what you would want to see in the future. I have my views on that, but <laughs> I'd probably better keep them to myself. But yes, uh, you, could, you could create a new body and say, right, this is the body that's going to super- supervise all the accountants or all the accountants and the solicitors or all the accountants and the solicitors and the estate agents or whatever it is. Uh, the the downside for accountants in the high street is that this is going to be a body which isn't going to be particularly understanding of the issues that accountants in practice actually face. Uh, and so it, it may not be uh, as sympathetic towards the difficulties of AML ID checking and risk assessment and so on that accountants face in practice. And I, I rather think that if if it was a vote amongst accountants in practice, they wouldn't vote for a government quango to supervise them. So which out of the four do you think would probably be, is, is the bookie's favourite, so to, so to speak, to, to, uh, to, to take the, the, the next step of AML? Well, if I'm the bookie, um, the favourite is, is Opbass Plus. And the reason for that is that it's the least disruptive. It's it's the easiest to put into place. It's not going to require a whole load of new legislation. It's not going to require uh, the creation of a new body. It's simply tacking on a little bit of extra powers to Opbass. And uh, Opbass would, under this proposal, have powers to fine the professional bodies. But one would imagine... Uh, that they would in practice uh, tick them off and say, if you don't get this right in the next six months, then then we're going to look at finding you or then we're going to look at going public with our criticisms or even uh, under Opbass Plus, we're going to look at stripping you uh, of your role uh, in money laundering supervision and giving it to somebody else, which are powers they don't have at the moment. I guess with Opbass Plus, um, I... I... Richard wrote the article. I had the joy of sub-editing it, and I I did um, have a lot of fun digging into uh, the Opbass levy, um, which I I think was is it like a, a flat fee for each professional body that supervises um, up to six thousand individuals, and then it's a variable fee for anyone after that, which I think was like thirty five pounds a go. And I I found the ACCA's. FAQ document. So it, Opbass levy cost ACCA £97,000 in the last full year. And, and ACCA were, were, to be fair to them, quite transparent about the fact that that cost is borne by UK practicing certificate holders. So that, that cost has been passed on to uh, passed on to ACC members. So I, I, I guess Opbass Plus in practice might, might mean um, increased fees for um, Increased fees plus. 
think. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Uh, thinking about it, ACCA is obviously one of the major players. Um, If they are contributing 100,000 a year to Opbass, then you're thinking to yourself that the total budget of Opbass cannot be that great. Mm. You know, then then can't have offices full of people Opbassing like crazy all year year round. Um, (laughs) They haven't got a lot of money. Um, So if you're going Opbass Plus, yes, they're going to look for more money. And ultimately, who's going to pay at the accountant in the high street? Again, if Opbass penalises, if it levies a fine on, say, ICAEW, who's going to pay, ultimately, the accountant in the high street? So I'm sorry to be so miserable, but that's, <laughs> that's how it's, it's going to work out. So, David, with all this extra scrutiny, which could potentially kind of filter down then onto uh, the accountant on the high street, what could they possibly do to just kind of up their defences now just to make sure that when all this comes crashing down they're going to be prepared and and, and ready to uh, have um, watertight AML procedures in place. Yeah, I, I, I was uh, delving into some history uh, this morning and I found that the accountants first came into money laundering regulations in the 2003 edition. So we've had this for nearly 20 years. Um, the 2017 uh, regulations came into force in the middle of 2017, pretty much precisely six years ago. So we should be familiar with all this stuff. There's been a few bits of tinkering with the regulations since 2017, but nothing major. So really, you should have your ducks in a row. Uh, talking to supervisory bodies, a bit of a, a bit of a tip, if I may, some of them take the view that if you haven't been doing it right up to now, get it right for the future and we'll not really inquire too much into what went on previously. Um, Some of them take the alternative approach. If you haven't done it right since 2017, what do you think you're playing at? Um, Here's the disciplinary committee and away we go. Uh, Some of them even take the approach, if you've not got it right, you're out. Goodbye. Um, we're, we're terminating your membership. You're gone. Now, different bodies are, have a different approach to this, but certainly I would say to anybody, get your AML docs in a row, get your policies and procedures documents sorted, get your firm-wide risk assessment documents sorted, uh, get your client due diligence uh, and so on. Uh, if you need some help, I know an excellent guy who, who, who will help you for a fee. Uh, just get in touch. But yeah, it, it, it's progressively getting more and more important to get this AML stuff right. I know it's regarded as a complete waste of time, but we do need to get it right. And, and David, finally, when it comes to what's next, of course, a few weeks back we had I think the government called it the was it is it the economic crime plan two, I think it was that's what it was called, yes. uh, which kind of was this roadmap for what's kind of next, what they hope to do to crank up the uh, the supervision of AML and and all sorts along that. Um, so we've obviously got this is this uh, this recent consultation from Treasury has dropped. What else can you see coming down the line that could potentially um, only 
increase further uh, AML supervision? Well, the, uh, this consultation just shows us the, the, the way it's, it's going. The tide is still running in favour of more supervision, closer supervision, uh, more uh, emphasis on, on getting the documents right and the recording of it right. Uh, and I, I noticed one of the comments on the article, somebody said, well, can we not just scrap all this? How about an optional? This is an option. We'll scrap money laundering uh, uh, supervision. We'll scrap money laundering regulations. We'll get back to doing accounts. You know, we're accountants. Let's do accounts. And I'm sorry to say that turning the clock back 20 years isn't going to happen. Uh Things are only going to get, um, as I was saying to somebody else recently, uh, we're only going to get more interesting times, uh, more supervision, more checks. And we just have to learn to live with it, get it sorted before somebody uh, knocks on the door. Well, David Winch, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So whilst AML has taken most of the headlines this week has not taken all of the headlines and it wouldn't be a no account for taste podcast without an update on mtd itza and tom this week it's the turn of icas uh, to lobby for a change uh, in terms of quarterly reporting so what what's happened yes so this is the this is obviously the government's uh much delayed plan to uh well the death the death of the tax return i believe it was announced by george osborne back in Back in 2015, but yes, I think the the, the income tax self assessment element has been beset with issues, been delayed four times, and uh, still, I, I think um, the, the latest iteration due to come in 2026 or, or 2027, depending on um, your turnover. But uh, yes, I think the, the it's the quarterly reporting element the, the new element that, that that was introduced um or planning to introduce that that is the focus of the the scottish county body's letter to the small business minister kevin hollenrake so um icas have called for quarterly returns to be required only for those self-employed businesses or landlords with income above the VAT registration threshold so previously it was it was sort of quarterly reporting for everyone over ten thousand pounds December, they sort of raised that to fifty thousand pounds, and then and they're sort of consulting on sort of thirty thousand plus, and and thinking about it um, there. So uh, ICAS have said that the imposing this this increased reporting regime on smaller businesses risks adding unnecessary cost burdens. Uh, looking at the positives, I mean, you can't fault the logic. Businesses above the VAT threshold, or a lot of businesses above the VAT threshold are used to reporting on a quarterly basis and the business case isn't that solid for the smallest businesses. Um, we, we previously discussed um, the national audit that sort of kicked the tyres on the business case, mm -hmm. shall we say. Um, it, it feels like quite a practical approach to try and get MCD out of the door. Um, you know, I, ICAS have said they're, they're fully supportive of MTD, so maybe this is a, a compromise candidate to save face we're all concerned, but I think as as a few of our members have pointed out, it seems slightly pointless for VAT registered traders, uh, given that the whole point of MTD was supposed to be to improve record keeping and mm. cut 
the tax gap and, and, and a couple of comments have said you know they've gone straight to the edge cases um talking about those with non-calendar vat quarters or those vat exempt businesses with turnover over 85 um so it, it's tough I, I can't see the suggestion sort of flying under this government current government particularly given that hmrc's ceo uh, appeared before the public accounts committee recently and was talking up not only quarterly reporting but real time reporting. So, mm. yeah, it's it's a um, it it's one of those that I think a great idea, but may not in practice land. Well, from one stuttering digital project to a technology which is doing anything but stuttering is kind of accelerating at such a pace. Of course, we're talking about generative AI, which is all anyone wants to talk about since the start of the year, um, and this week. Uh, it was a turn of tax and AI to have um, its moment in the spotlight. So, Tom, again, what's what's happening here? So, yeah, I wrote this piece based on the launch of uh, VatCalc's new VAT advisor product. Um, that's why I spoke with VatCalc CEO Richard Asquith, who was, you know, former big four VAT expert. Um, he was at Avalara for quite a bit, and now he's CEO of VatCalc, uh, which I think is fairly self-explanatory in the given the name um but yes the, the, this new product uses um like the open ai generative artificial intelligence system so that the, the sort of engine the plumbing behind chat gpt and they've integrated that into VatCalc's um global tax engine so so combining the two so so with this this large language model Pulling the data out of this tax engine, it, it can then produce draft VAT advice, uh, legal citations, tax cases in in seconds. So, so I think Richard Asquith, the point he was trying to make to me was that combining these these carefully curated databases of information on tax rules and data with the power of generative AI tools, it could really have a massive impact on the tax advice markets you know real disruption so rather than manually pouring over transactions or case law and then charging for the time spent um advisors may be at, at, at least sort of starting their work using a piece of software to generate tax advice um and, and it raises some really fundamental questions about i mean how the tax advice market is currently set up um this sort of renting someone's brain i mean this hasn't changed really in the last hundred years particularly um you know uh, how do you charge mm. um so in the past you know putting cross-border vat advice you know might take i don't know three hours at a charge out rate of 200 pounds that's 600 pounds so I've, I've paid somebody you know like to to do that whereas now i've paid somebody a license fee and and i've clicked a button um how do you work that out? I mean, I guess in the short term, there'd be a nice margin involved. But then if the firm down the road is using the same tool and charges 500, they, they, you'll get that sort of rapid escalation um, or deep, yeah, de-escalation. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I guess um, it raises a bunch of other questions. I mean, charging less, uh, does that threaten your revenue? Do you need to cut prices? Do you need to reduce profit? you need as many staff um there was a comment under the article from a member calling themselves our pets heads are falling off which is quite concerning but they made a very good point to sort of saying as, as this tech is adopted 
I struggle to see a future where junior and senior roles are maintained in anywhere near their current numbers. So, I mean, it's one of those sort of AI scare stories, isn't it? And, and you know, Richard Asquith was, was quite keen to sort of emphasise that it could be a great training tool for sort of junior staff afraid to talk to the partner, you know, without having produced a piece of advice. So, yeah, but I think... Um, yeah, it raises some some pretty fundamental questions about how things are going to be set up. Do you need to belong to an expensive global network, um, for example, if, if if you can have the answers at your fingertips? And I think you know the the last point I included in the article was the fact that Richard believed that there was a potential challenge to accountancy firms from tax publishers so that they've got this database they keep this um, carefully curated database there and so if they can find a way to plug the generative ai engine in then they can cut out the middleman in terms of the accounting firm and just go straight to the market so that could be quite disruptive as well so yeah lots going on we are we are at quite an early stage of all this at the moment but definitely definitely food for thought very interesting. Well, thank you very much, Tom. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you enjoyed all of the content on today's program, from AI to MTD to regulatory toads, join us as ever on accountingweb.co.uk. But until next time, bye for now. Bye.